All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Is Donald Trump going to be going to jail and why? Right? The district attorney up in New York seems uh, fairly confident or is he? Because it keeps changing his mind on whether or not Donald Trump is actually going to be indicted. We're going to discuss today the various charges that have been lodged against the former president. We're also going to talk about is there any validity in any of them? Is this political? Spoiler alert, it is, but we're also going to explain why. And then we're also going to do something a little bit different. We're going to go ahead and we're going to we're going to take off our, our partisan hats, right? And we're going to put on our our in our analytical hats and we're going to start to actually try to dig in and try to figure out why would this be part of a larger strategy for the Democrats? Is this all just about equality before the law and enforcing the law equally across the board? Or is there a political and electoral strategy involved? All of that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument. We'd like to hear your thoughts on this topic in our volley chat, which you can join by going to the link in the description of this show. Download the app. I promise it's Promise it's worth it. Introduce yourself. We'd love to get to know you there. Also, this coming Tuesday, we have a special guest who I will announce in the volley chat probably this weekend, uh, but we're really looking forward to that, and I know that's going to be an exciting episode as well. Thank you guys so much for joining us this uh, afternoon, evening on Making the Argument. I'm really excited for today's conversation because it's a huge story. Elon Musk was commenting on it. Everyone's all up in arms about it. It's very interesting. It's like a thriller almost. So we're going to unpack it. We're going to look at it from all angles and kind of try to figure out what's going on. So let's just get into it. Okay. First things first, let's talk about what, it, okay, what is actually going on? What, what are the various charges here? And the first thing to understand is that obviously this is not the first time um, the Democrats have tried to go after Donald Trump along a whole host of issues. I mean, we're, we're all very familiar now with what went on with the dossier, uh, with the steel dossier in Russia and, and a lot of that just coming out later to be found to be kind of just political, you know, machinations and nonsense. Um, but there's been some other things that have, that have come up that now the, these have been ongoing investigations. So the first one that I, I think everyone is somewhat familiar with is obviously the FBI searching uh, Trump's home in Mar-Largo, finding uh, classified materials. And there was a big question over that on, you know, okay, did he, did he do something, you know, nefarious or, or was this basically people packing stuff up and sending it over there and this just not being this not being nefarious, you you could potentially argue that, okay, maybe he should have done a better job checking it or a staff should have done a better job checking it. But was he, was he really doing something like involved in espionage? Well, obviously, you know, the DOJ kind of, you know, trying to make that case on some level. And we all sat there and we said, okay, look, we can all agree that it's not good to have classified documents in your home. By the same token, the president does have the ability to declassify documents and by the same token, you didn't seem to be this concerned when Hillary Clinton, as the acting secretary of state, had set up a private email server and was engaging official correspondence in a way that was com 
completely outside the boundaries uh, of secure emails. You didn't seem to be this concerned when all of a sudden classified documents start popping up and, and you know, every place that Joe Biden happened to spend the night, right? So again, it seems like even if there's something, even if there's a legitimate concern here, it doesn't seem like you want to apply the law equally, right? So that that's that's one case with Malaga. The other one, there's a second federal investigation looking into January 6th attack on the Capitol. Um, look, here's I think here's the issue with this, and we're we're seeing this right now with some of the footage that uh, the speaker allowed Tucker Carlson to essentially air, which which painted a a let's say a very different picture than the Democrat controlled January 6th committee. Now. Everyone around here has, has said repeatedly from pretty much the day it happened that, look, if you were somebody that illegally went into the Capitol and was stealing things or was breaking things, you shouldn't have been doing it. That's illegal, and there's prosecution associated with that. We've also been saying that the manner in which this was carried out, the investigation as well as some of the criminal investigations, um, the, the prison sentences handed down, have, have seemed, in, in at least in some cases, excessive. And the mechanisms that were used seem to be somewhat dishonest, as if this was, again, quite a bit of political motivation. Nothing to take away the seriousness of various things that happened on, on uh, January 6th, but then there's also confusion on why is it that one of the guys that we actually got videotape running around saying, we need to go into the Capitol, and I orchestrated it. Why is that guy, you know, not in jail? You know, th this, has led some, this has led to some conclusions that, okay— how was the federal government involved? Did they had did they had they infiltrated certain organizations, and had they gone past the 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 process of infiltrating, going along, collecting information in order to prosecute a case, or had they actually been involved in potentially instigating certain things? And and part of the reason why this question was asked is because of some things that happened in Michigan, where it did turn out that federal agents that were a part of these groups that they had infiltrated had actually taken more of a role in the, in the organization and instigation of certain activities rather than just being, you know, there in order to, to, to build a case. Um, so the problem here is that, again, you go back and you look at some of Trump's statements. There's been plenty of people that have looked at some of the things that Trump did up to, um, you know, January 6th to say, okay, it wasn't wise to say that, or he shouldn't have done this or what. However, when he was made informed, when he was made aware of what was going on, he immediately got up in public and said, hey, don't do this. Peacefully protest, peacefully protest. And so it, I think it's going to be very, very hard for them to make an argument that this was some sort of, you know, underground conspiracy by Trump to, to launch a physical insurrection of the Capitol. I know that's been the very popular narrative from the Democrat, uh, Democrat side, but Again, the problem we look at this is, okay, what do you call it when you actually have left-wing organizations in Seattle and Portland and other places setting up literal autonomous zones, burning things down, people getting murdered within the jurisdictions that they kind of took control over, and, and you, don't seem to have any, you don't seem to have any real concern about that. In fact, in some cases, you had the mayor of Seattle actually praising you know, these autonomous zones that have been set up. So one, It's once, a summer of love. Yeah, so what, once again, you know, it, it's not that... Two things can be true at once. You can look at a particular activity and say, okay, that wasn't good or that wasn't wise or that even might have been illegal. But the question always becomes, why is it that when this this happens over here, it's it's the worst attack since the Civil War, right? But or, or Pearl Harbor. But when this happens over here, ah, you know, that's just summer of love stuff. So that's that's the second one, right? The the January sixth. The other thing that has happened, and some of this is is more um, some of it is more civil, has had to do with a uh, chief financial, uh, I think it was the chief financial officer, um, Mr. Was it uh, Weiselberg? Weiselberg? 
I think Weiselberg was was convicted of charges. Now, one of the things that has come out is that like, oh my gosh, there was like you know twelve or fifteen felony convictions with respect to tax fraud and grand larceny and all this other stuff. Now, those weren't directed at Trump. Those were directed at the Trump organization, uh, certain attorneys, the CFO. Now, the CFO came out with a statement and basically said, yeah, I will testify about the Trump organization. Apparently, he refused to testify against Trump. Now, remember, the distinction here is when you when you run a large organization, it is possible for things to happen within that organization that you're not directly responsible for or, or liable for. Again, you can come back and say, well, okay, yeah, but if you're the boss, the buck stops with you, you should know things. Okay, maybe. That doesn't mean you're criminally liable. And it is telling that as the prosecution was going after the Trump organization and some elements within the Trump campaign, um, they didn't actually get anything that they were prosecuting Trump for. They got a CFO, but the CFO came out and it said a statement. It's like, yeah, I could either get up to 15 years in prison or 100 days in, in prison. So I, I took the 100 days as part of the plea deal. This is one of the concerns that has actually been launched by not only you know conservatives at the time, but a lot of times it's been launched by people on the left where they've said that sometimes these aggressive prosecutions go after people in such a way to where they, they, create, um, they, they create an environment where you are faced with, hey, here's, here's 100 days in jail and a fine and you can't do this anymore, or you're going to die in jail. What, what do you want to do? And it, lo and behold, it turns out people are willing to say, "Look, I, I will," because you're you're not you're not just you're not just arguing this based off of, and, and you will see defense attorneys convincing their clients of this. It's like, look, you can you can be innocent. I can believe you're innocent. The question is, is based off of what they're going to explain to a jury, will you be found guilty or not? And w- what are the odds that you want to believe that twelve people, you know, are are, are going to find you not guilty? And so. That's, that's a very real concern. Now, again, I, I think that overall our justice system is, is one of the best in the world, um, but that doesn't mean that there, there can't be you know, concerns here with respect to you know, the amount of charges or the amount of things that can be launched against somebody. And, and there was a popular book written, I think it was called Four Felonies a Day, that actually talked about how with all of the, the state and federal regulations that are out there, an, an honest person could actually commit up to four felonies a day you know, within certain circumstances and not even know it, not even know they were doing something criminal. Um, so that this is one of the reasons why we kind of fight sometimes against these like long extensive code sections, which are, you know, selectively enforced, shall we say. So that, that's the other, that's the other thing that he's kind of been embroiled in. Um, there's what went on in Georgia. So in Georgia, a number of Trump allies were subpoenaed as part of a, a state criminal investigation. And that was, you know, potential interference in the 2020 election cycle. But what we're seeing right now, right? So there, there's, there's all that stuff that have been legal things that, that Trump has faced. Um, and a lot of this has been either at the very end of his presidency or post-presidency. Some of what we're seeing now, though, has to do specifically with what went on with uh, Stormy Daniels. So, oh my gosh, I hate talking about this, but <laughs> essentially, what this what this was is that you know the the you know the the allegation, the story is, is that Stormy Daniels is a porn star. You know, um, well that part. That's no, true. There's, there's, no, no, there's no allegation, no allegation for that part. <laughs> like, he's, he's, she's a porn star, and that Donald Trump. Um, you know, whether he had an affair or it was a one-time tryst or whatever it was, that took place at the same time that Melania was pregnant with um, with Barron. So that's obviously not a that's obviously not a good situation. And, and this is something too. And I, I will say this as somebody that you know I voted for Trump both times. Um, 
if there was if there was ever the the things that always concern me the most about Donald Trump were things with respect to him and his wives. Um, I don't I, I I place a a lot of value on fidelity, and um, I, I always thought it was incredibly disappointing, and I said so at the time that that Donald Trump had had, had these kind of relationships, but. The, the legal issue with this, because obviously it's, it's not illegal to cheat on your wife. It's not illegal to cheat on your wife with a porn star. So what, what is potentially illegal? Well, Michael Cohen, former uh, kind of fixer attorney for, for Donald Trump, was uh, given a certain amount of money. I think it was $130,000 um, among other payments uh, for legal fees. Some of it were, I think, listed as like campaign consulting fees and things like that. And the story was uh, Michael Cohen later got convicted and disbarred of campaign finance law violations. Uh, but again, it was Cohen, not Trump. Well now, and, and, and I just want to point this out too, as someone that has obviously run for office and run for office at the federal level, one of the reasons why you hire attorneys and one of the reasons why you hire people that understand federal election laws is because there are so many there are so many rules and there's so many nuances. Like for instance, one of the things that happens, I just want to provide this for some context for people. There would be ads that would go out on TV that were either attacking me or supporting me, right? The ones that were supporting me, people would come and be like, I can't believe, you know, your ad said this. And I'd be like, that wasn't my ad. Yes, it was. It was, it was they were supporting you for, okay, but that, that's an outside organization. That, that's, well, you told them to do it. No, legally I can't. Like I'm not allowed. Not only am I not allowed to tell them I want you to do this, I'm not even allowed to call them up and say, "Please stop doing that. I don't agree with it or it's wrong or it's bad." I'm not even allowed to call them up and do that. I actually had a case in one of my races where an organization supporting me said something about some of my opponents that I thought was dishonest. I couldn't call them up and tell them to stop doing that. The only thing I could do was publicly get up and say, I disagree with that statement. I don't think it's correct. And I did. But again, people don't know this. They just assume that, oh yeah, that's your tricky little political thing where you're just saying that it's this outside group doing it when it's like, look, do, do some people collaborate and, and potentially break the law? Yes. I certainly don't. Um, and, and it's kind of frustrating, but by the same token, the reason why all this exists is because of campaign finance law. It's because of federal election law. People wanted these laws because they thought it was going to make our process more open and transparent, right? Same thing with, with where you can get money and how much money you can get from somebody. Like somebody can donate the max to you both in the primary and the general, but you're supposed to spend all that. So if they give you a check for both the primary and the general, but then you lose the primary, you don't get to keep that money. You're supposed to give it back, right? If they gave you money for the primary and you sat on it until you get into the general, you're not supposed to spend that money in the general. Right. So there's little things like this where when you're talking about a presidential level campaign, the reason why you have an army of attorneys is because you're saying, I'm hiring you to take care of all this stuff. And part of what they do is assume risk by taking that position. That's why they get paid the big bucks. When you're saying, like, why do you pay these lawyers so much on your campaign? Because I'm not an expert on the law. I want to focus on running my campaign, right? I'm talking to people and, and developing policy issues, not sitting there looking over every single financial transaction, making sure that whether or not we, the signs we bought in this state complied with federal election law with the proper wording on it, 
lawyers get paid so much on campaigns because other lawyers wrote rules that only lawyers can actually follow. <laughs> yes. yeah. And and somebody has to be on the hook to go to jail to yes. use the Michael Cohen case, right? So yeah. lawyers, if you're if you're being put on the hook to go to prison if something is falsely filed or not properly reported or whatever it is, Oh, you you better believe if if I was being asked to to put my own personal freedom on the line when I'm signing off on something for a campaign, yeah, I'm gonna ask for at least six figures in salary for that. Yeah. So, like, I but but for people that are complaining about that entire process, understand that part of the reason that we have this process the way that it is is because incumbent politicians, woe and behold, want to get reelected. And how do, how do you make it more likely that you get reelected? You come up with campaign finance laws yeah. that guess what? The incumbent has the advantage there because they have an army of staff members. They have an army of previous campaign workers. They have a giant network of donors that they've cultivated by being in office that they can use to get themselves reelected by following these complicated rules that they've passed. And if you're the challenger that doesn't have any of that, you don't have any network. You don't have any staff members that you don't have any donors or you know, uh, a lobbyist behind you or anything like that. Cause you're not in office. You're not a politician yet. Um, well actually you are a politician cause you're running for office, but you're not an incumbent yet. Um, it's much easier when you have strict campaign finance laws for, for incumbents to get reelected, mm. but then they sell it to the general public as this is some sort of transparency or, or reform in government. This is about morals and ethics. No, it's about their, it's about their reelection. Yeah. So again, that's all background to say, that when, you know, Cohen gets arrested for this, because some people are like, oh, he's just taking the fall or Trump. Is it, is it possible that Trump knew about everything? And did, sure. But that's not what was found in a court of law. What was found in a court of law was that the person that he hired to handle certain things, because that's what you do, right? This is, again, not nefarious, not crazy, not even unique to politics, right? This is the why companies hire lawyers. This is why companies hire accountants. It's, it, you know, this is why you get an accountant when you do your taxes, right? So we do all these things. Bottom line though, is what they're essentially alleging is that hush money was paid to Stormy Daniels to not talk about, um, you know, the, the affair with Trump during the election cycle, right? And that, that, that money was, you know, categorized as one thing, but actually used for something else that would have made it illegal right now that could be like, okay, Cohen was responsible and therefore Cohen's in trouble. If Cohen's coming out and saying, no, 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 Donald Trump knew about this, said, this is what it was for, did this. He, he was now you, you're talking about a potential misdemeanor within a violation of, of campaign finance law. Now you're, you're talking about a felony conviction, right? And that's significant because this would be the first time that a president had ever you know, been charged with a, uh, with a criminal crime, uh, post-presidency. I, th I think that's, I think that's the last, last thing I read on that. And so what's going on right now is that the, the, the DA, uh, has been hinting at this for a while that this was going to happen, that, you know, he had a, a good case. What just kind of broke later is that there was a five-year-old letter surfaced on Wednesday. I'm actually, this is a, a daily wire, a report by, uh, Ryan, uh, uh, Saavedra. A five-year-old letter surfaced Wednesday that appeared to show President Trump's former uh, fixer, Michael Cohen, lied to investigators about a hush money payment made during the 2016 presidential election. The letter, dated February 8, 2018, was written by Cohen's attorney, Stephen Ryan, to the Federal Election Commission about the payment Cohen made to porn actress Stormy Daniels. In it, Cohen's lawyer claims that Cohen used his own personal funds to facilitate a payment of $130,000 to Miss Stephanie Clifford, 
You know, that's her actual name. Neither the Trump organization nor the Trump campaign was a party to the transaction with Ms. Clifford and neither reimbursed Mr. Cohen for the payment directly or indirectly, the letter said. Cohen pled guilty six months after that letter was written to several charges in federal court, including campaign finance violations related to the payment of Daniels. Cohen, who has since been disbarred, is a key figure in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office grand jury investigation and a former President Donald Trump's alleged involvement in that payment to Daniels. He also he has uh, told investigators from Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg and testified to the grand jury that he made the payments at the direction of Trump. So here's the big deal, right? Um, if Cohen was the one that made this decision without Trump's knowledge, then something you know inappropriate was done, but Trump's not on the hook. If Trump directed him to do it, well, then Trump's on the hook. The problem is, is that when you get into this, you know, he said, he said, right? Cohen said, no, 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 Trump, Trump knew about it. Okay, where, where's your evidence for that? Well, it's my testimony. Okay, well, you, you've been found guilty several times of lying about this sort of thing. Plus, we actually have a legal document signed by one of your attorneys clarifying that Trump had nothing to do with this. And, and, and if you're a district attorney, I mean, you've got to be looking at this and one minute you think you've got an airtight case, or at least you've got enough to go get an indictment because the joke is you can indict a ham sandwich, right? The, the joke all with an indictment, all you have to do is essentially convince, um, you know, a, 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 a grand jury that um, there's enough evidence to move forward to a formal trial process. Well, as you can imagine, the threshold for that is is fairly easy. It's not the same as sending somebody off to jail for the rest of their life. Or you're just saying it's not a conviction. Yeah, it's not a conviction. All you're all you're doing is like, hey, jury, here's the evidence presented. We think it's enough to go and have a formal trial, and 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 this person will have their day in court. But we think there's sufficient evidence to warrant a trial. So that's all the grand jury is doing is they're saying, okay, yeah, that that looks that looks legit. It's why it's not that hard to get you know, a grand jury and an indictment and, and everything else. However, when this letter dropped, all of a sudden we're starting to see delays with respect to, you know, actually pulling Trump in because that sort of evidence is, is what's referred to as potentially exculpatory. Now what exculpatory mean is that the actual definition is tending or serving to clear from alleged fault or guilt. All right. So, so for instance, if someone said that, you know, you robbed this bank at, 2.30 p.m. on a Friday in Austin, and then all of a sudden evidence surfaces showing you giving a speech at 2.30 p.m. on the same day in, you know, Ottawa, Canada. That's the sort of thing we're looking at. Be like, well, that's, that's exculpatory evidence in the sense that it essentially eliminates you from being a, a suspect. So that, that's pretty overwhelming evidence. It's uh, almost like an alibi. It, yeah, really, it really is. It really is in, in many respects. So, so that's kind of what's that's kind of what's going on right now. Um, I think so. Th th that's what's going on. Those are all the various charges that are spinning around. The biggest one right now is this: the criminal conviction that they're potentially going after with respect to Michael Cohen as a witness, the Stormy Daniels thing, and and everything else. That's that's where we're at. So, Nick, I think that you've given. By the way, there's actually a lot in that explanation that Nick gave that I didn't know. Um, so I, I, I actually think that was kind of valuable that, cause I, I, I didn't know <laughs> I'm that. I'm so glad you find what we just talked about for 20 minutes somewhat <laughs> valuable. <laughs> well, what, what, what I, all right. I deserve to be laughed at for that, but no, 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 no. Here, here's what I meant that like you've teed up the situation of here's where we're at. Right. So now, now that, that we all are kind of on the same page of like where the situation is currently at, then the question is, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And then the follow-up question is, where is this going to end? 
right? Yeah. So we've we talked about the backstory, right? So now let's talk about the present with yeah. like what's the motivations behind this? Because you hinted at the beginning of this podcast that you think that there's three motivations, three potential motivations for for why Democrats, why this this district attorney. Well, let, let's assume that one of the questions. One of the questions we have to ask is based off of what we know about how Democrats have viewed Donald Trump, right? Because obviously there's things you could probably look back with the Bush administration. Like, are, are we really going to say that there was no classified documents with the Bush administration in an appropriate place? Are we gonna, really going to say that there was nothing with the Obama administration? Are we going to say that there was nothing that ever happened in those administrations that, that you could have potentially convinced a grand jury that, hey, th- you know, this president knew about this, did this, had some sort of shady dealings, and now we need... No, I, th- I think all of us would agree that, well, there's probably something. The question is, is does it rise to the level of going past what we call kind of the threshold of prosecutorial discretion, which is to say that we understand that some things are, are blatant and intentional and conspiratorial and everything else, and, and other things are, are acts that any reasonable person could theoretically have gotten you know caught up on, right? That's the, I didn't realize that when they were packing my office, they packed a classified document in the bottom drawer of the desk in the Oval Office, and that ended up going back to my estate, right? Like, okay, fine. Um, by the same token, you look at things like Hillary Clinton deliberately went to the process of setting up an entire private server to manage official emails. I mean, you can deliberately look at that, but what was the threshold the FBI used to not prosecute her? They said, well, we couldn't find any intent of wrongdoing. Like she wasn't engaging in espionage. She wasn't doing anything that was that was theoretically nefarious. She just found this more convenient. O- okay, <laughs> but that's still a violation of several codes and regulations with respect to the handling of classified documents. Like laws were still broken. Regulations were still broken. Well, yeah, but we didn't, we didn't find any nefarious intent. It's not like she was selling the secrets to the Russians. Okay, well, then if that's the threshold you're going to now establish... The question is, is it going to be applied equally or all of a sudden you're going to you decide you don't like it that way? Now, I think one of the ways that you could look at this. So the classified documents I've always thought was much ado about nothing unless you had some sort of other evidence that, that Trump was using classified materials to engage in espionage, which I, I, I don't think most reasonable people thought was a serious concern. Right. But whatever. When it came to the stuff with the the campaign finance reform, or when it came to the stuff with with the businesses, look, I I, I think that um, I, I think the general sentiment within the left, especially with left leaning prosecutors, is they they love to go after these companies, and and some of these companies absolutely deserve it, right? Absolutely deserve it. But if you look at all the regulation mountains of regulation with the SEC and all, there's also a reason why these companies hire armies of lawyers. It's because it, it does get difficult to comply with all the laws and regulations. I mean, keep in mind, we talked a little while back about how when the Dodd-Frank bill went into effect, it added something like 27,000 new regulations on banks, right? There, there are some times where people deliberately engage in fraud and there's other times where people make a mistake because you're trying to comply with over 27,000 regulations. So there's a difference there. The, the, one of the reasons why I think this is somewhat political is because most of, the, most of what they're talking about here with Trump are, are misdemeanors, which is minor crimes. The potential felony is the one where if he, if he really did direct this payment, he used funds that he wasn't supposed to use, used a mechanism he wasn't supposed to use, knew about it and did it anyway. Right. Okay. That that's a felony. Right. Did he murder anyone? No. He was trying to cover up something embarrassing. You know. Uh, okay. It's a little bit hard to believe that this district attorney sees this and thinks to himself, "No, 
this is a grave injustice and we need to go after this. Because if it was, well, then why didn't anybody see that it that way with Bill Clinton when, when he was doing this with people? Why, why didn't the media see it that way? Um, now, again, you, you bring something like that and say, well, this is whataboutism. Like, <laughs> okay, if I can concede that if, if Trump did what you're claiming, that's wrong and, and that is a violation of the law, well, then certainly you can also concede that you didn't weren't all that concerned about it when your guy was doing it. Right. And, and especially in the, the difference here was Stormy Daniels wasn't coerced into it. When Paula Jones went after Bill Clinton was he sexually assaulted me. Right. This this wasn't something where I, I was a willing participant. Stormy Daniels, Donald Trump was trying to potentially cover up something that was embarrassing. Right. Bill Clinton was trying to cover up something that was illegal. So there, there's an important distinction here. And this keep in mind, this district attorney. And this is a, a funny point that Christian brought up. This district attorney has already has already said when he took office that there were certain crimes he just wasn't going to prosecute. I think one of them had to do with um, misdemeanor charges associated with resisting arrest. Um, there was another one with prostitution. <laughs> yeah, I made the joke before we started recording that like, oh, so this is the same guy that you know won't prosecute prostitution. But he will prosecute payments for prostitution yeah, to cover up, you know, <laughs> prostitution. payments to cover up prostitution. So, like, I mean, I you have to kind of take this with a grain of salt. That like yeah. this gets into my question that I asked about, well, like, so, what's the motivation? Because you you look at some of these DAs and yeah. you see this in, in in other states, right? These super woke progressive DAs oh, yeah. in these cities like Portland, New York City, Philadelphia, yeah. and and like. They're just not upholding the law. No, no. It, it, we see this in Virginia. We see this in the Virginia Parole Board. I mean, we had to launch massive investigations where information was being hidden from the General Assembly, like giving us redacted reports and reports missing pages. It's like to, to cover up the fact, and I believe, let me go ahead and say that, I believe to cover up the fact that there were people on the parole board that were deliberately violating the rules governing how parole, and they were letting literally people who had murdered people out of jail early. And in some cases people convicted of second degree murder without even notifying the family or the local sheriff that they had gone back into the community. Right. Again, these are, these are violations of protocols in some respects. In other cases, you could argue that they, they're potentially violations of law. So if you're going to try to convince us that the left is just all of a sudden mm, law and order and nobody's above the law and we want to make sure that it's applied equally and it, I don't buy it. I still remember defund the police. Yeah, I don't buy it for us. I'm sorry. I just don't. I just don't. Um, so I think that this is largely political. Now, the question is. What type of political? What is the political strategy? And this is the part where like everybody just, I'm just going <laughs> to say it right now. As we go into the next segment of this podcast, we're going to posit some theories. I'm not saying that this is. I'm not saying that any one of these is what I believe is absolutely happening or what I think the desire, you know, it's my desired outcome or anything like that. What I'm saying is, is that I'm, we're going to go through, it's really two, two theories, three, I guess, three theories on why this is taking place. One theory is just what is kind of colloquially known as Trump derangement syndrome, right? It's the idea that they hate this guy so bad that any potential mechanism they can use to undermine him, to, um, you know, potentially convict or prosecute him, it, they're going to take it because they they just despise him. There's this visceral reaction to Donald Trump, this absolute hatred for him, and and in some of their minds, the the absolute belief that he is a threat to all of democracy in America and and everything else, right? That they're going to use whatever legal mechanism, 
social mechanism, economic mechanism they possibly can to take him down, right? So that that's almost separated from politics in the sense that they just really see him as the personification of evil. He's the Antichrist in their minds. And so, hey, if this is what they got, we're going to do it, right? Elliot Ness didn't take down Al Capone for murdering people. He got him for tax evasion, right? They they'd see Trump as evil and they want to take him down. If this is the way they can do it, they're going to do it. That's one theory. And I actually think there's there's elements of truth to that. The other is a more strategic approach. And I, I would argue there's kind of two schools of thought here on this, the strategic politics side. One is, is the people that are saying that, well, what, what Democrats really want here is they don't want Trump to run at all, and they want to create a circumstance, they want to create a situation where there's no way he possibly can run, either for you know legal reasons where he's so tied up in court um, or, or he's convicted of something, he's potentially in jail, and it's a lot harder to run for president when you're in jail, right? So, Ask Eugene Debs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> actually, actually, speaking of that, 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 that kind of gets into my theory here because it's popularly believed that you cannot run for president as a convicted felon or in prison, and that's actually not true. Um, the Constitution only outlines... One massive restriction. Now, now there's there's requirements, right? You have to be 35. You need to be a naturally born citizen. There's thing there, there's requirements for you to run for president. Yeah. But the only thing that disbars you from running for president is the 14th Amendment, the insurrection clause, right? Yeah. W- w- waging an insurrection or rebellion against the United States. That that was incorporated because of the Civil War. Yeah. Um. With the exception of that, the Constitution is intentionally extremely vague about eliminating candidates for president because the idea was is that well states are going to be able to decide who the president is and so we're going to leave that decision up to individual states you know determining certain laws about who can run for office and stuff like that more importantly you can still run for president in prison that's what eugene debs did in in um after he was convicted of the Sedition Act in 1918, yeah, um, he he opposed World War One and he was thrown in prison for it. And he decided to run for Wilson. president by yeah. Woodrow Wilson. And he decided to run for president as a socialist. There's a lot I don't like about Debs, yeah, but yeah. I'm using that as an example of how people who 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 are throwing out this idea that well, the this prosecutor in uh, Manhattan is trying to throw the the kitchen sink at Trump because they're trying to remove Trump from the picture and and yeah. basically Wait. prevent him from running. None of this would technically prevent yeah. him from running for president. The the only way there and and some people make the argument that the reason why they pushed January six so hard uh, on the committee and some of the findings was that they really wanted a case against Trump that would theoretically be the insurrection, the case. insurrection case, and then he would be barred from running for president, right? But what the DA in New York is doing right now would would not legally bar him from running for president. Now, the 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 statement goes like this. Can you legally run for president as a convicted felon? Legally, yes. Effectively, not really. Or especially <laughs> if you're in jail or, you know, again, you're, you're tied up in a series of court cases. That obviously makes campaigning kind of difficult um, if, if judges can call you back to appear or, or whatever it is. So the, that's that's one of the arguments. So what people need to understand about this, the people that think that this there's something to this strategy, that what they're really trying to do is prevent him from being able to run for president. Legally, he would still be able to based off of what's going on in New York right now, at least from everything I've seen. But practically, it would make it difficult. Okay, so that's that's one strategy. There's another theory here, right? And this is the theory that, you know, gets a little bit more controversial, especially with, with uh, certain conservatives. The other theory here is that there are some Democrats, and look, they come out and say it. So it's, it's not as if we're projecting this onto them or, or whatnot. They, they've 
they realize that Trump has an incredibly loyal and popular base within the Republican Party. They believe that it will be easier to beat Trump in a general election. And they've also figured it out that when the left is talking about Trump, Trump gains in popularity with the base. Right when, when the loudest voices out there are leftists attacking Trump, Trump's popularity goes up. The base rallies around. The base rallies around Trump because one of the primary things that people loved about Trump, even people that weren't all that you know fond of Trump, one of the things they loved the most about him is that guy will mix it up with the left. He doesn't get, he doesn't get pushed around. And we're tired of Republicans getting pushed around. We're tired of these panty waist Republicans getting pushed around, you know, every time somebody, you know, calls them a, a mean name and Trump doesn't do that. And you know what, you know, that's worth something, right? So there are certain people that have understood, like if you're, if you're sitting on the left and you're looking at this strategically and you believe now, if you believe that Trump can't win a second time, right, which there are some people that will tell you, go ahead and bet that way if you want, but they didn't think nobody thought he was going to win the, or a lot of people didn't think he was going to win the first time around. Right, but if you honestly believe that, no, at this point, it's a very, very different race than it was in 2016, and you don't think Trump can win, well, then obviously you would want Trump to be the nominee. Well, if you've picked up on the fact that when liberals talk about Trump, Trump does better, this all makes sense. Because this helps him out in the nominating contest, because right now, regardless of what anybody else wants to say, at this stage in the game, this is between two people, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. There's other people that are interested. There's other people that are kind of waiting around on the wings, but I guarantee you what every one of those people that's in a potential third or fourth place slot is waiting for is for one person, one of those two people to be eliminated from this process, right? That, that's what they're, they've in, sucked in some up way, shape or form. Ron, Ron and Don have, yeah. have sucked up all the oxygen in the room, which is why it's, it's become a two man race, even though DeSantis hasn't formally declared yet. And, yeah. and that, 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 that gets to your point because if the le- by the way, the left could be wrong in this calculation. Yeah, they could. They be. were wrong in 2016 when they yep. thought that oh we're going to crush Donald Trump. They, they yeah, were they almost wrong him- in 2020 when they thought that they were going to win in a landslide, yeah. and they barely, by the skin of their teeth, pulled it off. So, so they could actually be wrong again. But I, I personally think that Democrats have made the decision in the in their own minds that Trump is the easier candidate to defeat. Whether or not he actually is, is another debate. But yeah. but I think that they believe that he is the easier candidate to beat. And what better way to make him the nominee than to throw all of their public attention at him? Because they know that whenever the left attacks anybody on the right, the right becomes very, very fond of that person, very right? Protective. We We circled as conservatives, conservatives, you know, fell in love with DeSantis when the left was trying to tear him to shreds yeah. when he was fighting things like Disney and BlackRock and the COVID stuff and Fauci and, and, and then he got reelected in a landslide. Like, like that was like the peak of DeSantis's own popularity. And then the left started, you know, talking about Trump a lot more since November, 2022. And what, what have we seen? We've seen Trump's popularity increase since then. So, so there's evidence to show your theory, Nick, that, that you were talking about uh, how when the left attacks somebody on the right relentlessly, their popularity on the right goes up because that's the type of hyper-polarized environment that we're in. So if you already have this idea that, well, I know that I'm more likely to defeat this guy, yeah, I'm going to direct my firepower at this guy because he's probably going to become more popular with my opponent's base and then they're going to nominate him. And then I'm going to have a better chance of beating him in the general election than this other candidate over here. And I think the important thing to understand too, about this from a, again, from a purely strategic political position, um, 
what's going on with Trump right now from a legal perspective is obviously, you know, what a pain, right? Like who wants, who wants to go through all of this and, and potentially be facing criminal and civil prosecution. Uh, from a political standpoint though, I don't know that it hurts Donald Trump for all the reasons that we just mentioned. I do think it puts DeSantis in, in a quasi impossible situation because Trump right now is out there lambasting DeSantis and, and, I, and I will say right now, look, vote for who you want to in the Republican primary, the whole deal. Some of the things I'm hearing being talked about DeSantis, I look at this, I'm like, give me a break. Like, no, you, you don't get to tell me that the guy that we all thought was doing a great job five minutes ago is now a horrible, you know, worthless human being because he might run against Donald Trump for the Republican nomination for president, right? You, you don't get to sell that crap with me. You can say I you can say that you prefer Trump, you'd rather him. You can say you prefer Sir, uh, DeSantis and would rather have him. What I would love to see is them talk about individual policy objectives and priorities and, and records and things like that rather than tearing each other to pieces. But what's interesting is as Trump is attacking DeSantis, DeSantis is now in a position where people want to know what does DeSantis feel about what's going on with the prosecution of Donald Trump. And DeSantis has come out and said, look, I, I think it's political. Like he's come right out. And, he's actually defended Donald Trump as Donald Trump is excoriating Ron DeSantis. And Ron DeSantis is in this position right now where if he doesn't come out and defend the guy that's that's trashing him, it's damned if you do. Damned he looks if you don't. he looks weak, and if he does, well, now he's supporting the guy that's trashing him. So, from from a, a political like messaging perspective, if you're just thinking about this strategically and analytically, it's it's Trump's using what's going on right now in in a very strategic way, not only against Democrats but also against the guy that was is probably his most prominent challenger. Um. And so that's why it's interesting to look at this and say, like, okay, is, is anybody over on the Democrats' side? Again, if the Democrats believe that um, – if the Democrats are, are actually scared of Trump, then the, the, the moves they will make will essentially be do anything we possibly can to remove him from the picture. If they think he's the better candidate for them with respect to the general election, then they will do things that will actually add to his prominence and put him in a position to actually give him, a, give him an edge with the um, within the nominating contest. Now, here's the thing. Here's here's the one caveat I'm going to say to all that. I I am positive that there are smart people who think about this all the time, sitting up in little war rooms in Washington D.C. with with you know whiteboards and you know strings attached to pictures and a hundred tabs on and a hundred tabs on their computer, <laughs> looking at all of this, going, "Oh, this would be the great thing." That is not how ninety percent of the, the people are thinking about this, right? 90% of this is I either like the guy, I hate the guy, I don't know how I feel about the guy, and, and it is what it is. Um, so understand that it, it can be easy to get into the weeds of politics. And, and, and look, just because 90% of the people aren't thinking about this doesn't mean that it isn't happening. Um, the question will be is how does the 10% that is looking at this strategically and it is decided on a course of action convince an overwhelming number of people to behave or react in a certain way in order to get the result they want. And that is a much more difficult question, right? It, it, all these ideas and plans and grand schemes sound really cool on, on paper. And then you try to implement them and you find out it's not an easy case in point. The Democrats found that out in 2016. You cannot convince me that the Democrats didn't want Donald Trump to be the nominee in 2016. They absolutely thought that was the easiest guy to take out and he surprised the crap out of him. I mean, he surprised he surprised me. Not only did he win, I didn't expect him to do that well. 
I didn't expect him to win. I, I didn't. I didn't expect him to win. I didn't expect him to do that well. I thought it was, again, voted for him, campaigned that year, but w was I surprised by the results? Yes, yes. So this is the part two where a lot of the you know the political brains can can be a little bit too smart by half set up a scenario where they think we're going to take down our opponent and, and in actuality, and you elevate them. Yes. Um, the guy that, that does beat you. And, and then that's, yeah. what, that's what I said at the start, that like we need to separate what actually will happen with what do these people think will happen. Right. I personally am convinced that Democrats do think, again, for the third time in a row, that Donald Trump is, is easily defeatable. Whether or not he is, I mean, history has shown twice now that the guy massively overperforms expectations, yeah. uh, certainly in terms of polling. American polling is just totally broken. That's a whole nother yeah. conversation. But like, uh, so there's evidence to suggest that that this guy is a lot stronger than than people usually give him credit for, especially on the left. Yeah. But does that change the fact that like, I mean, we've also seen twice now that the left has has thought we've got this in the bag. Yeah. And then once they got shocked and the other time they almost got shocked. So like. I don't know. I, I feel like that, that we're about to see a repeat for the third time where the left is going to try to to push Trump to get the nomination because they think they can beat him. Now, whether or not they can is is a you know we'll find out in in next November, right? But yeah. but like I, well, I mean we'll we'll find out. We're going to find out probably depending on what happens. We'll either find out in June. Well, that, that, that's yeah. that, that, that's what I mean. Assuming yeah. that he gets the nomination. Yeah, now, yeah. now if he doesn't get the nomination, then. In some ways, you know, all these efforts are kind of just for spite, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, at that point, that's kind of like the third scenario that, that we were talking well, it's about. What's the where, hatred motivation? Where it's, it's like, the, or, or not even the Democrats hatred, are, yeah. are just doing this because, I mean, there's no Republican at, at the moment. If DeSantis becomes the nominee, I guarantee you, he will not oh, yeah. be, then become their number one hated person because <laughs> yeah. that's something the left does all the time, right? Yeah. They they make you. I'm old enough to remember when Mitt Romney was the most outrageous, was a sexist, fascist. You know, <laughs> right-wing radical dog hating extremist ever i remember 20 the 2012 election right yeah. like like it's the same story over and over again whoever the gop nominates is immediately going to be labeled a racist fascist extremist oh, yeah. right-wing bigot and then five years later they'll be like i wish the republicans Man, I, like mitt romney I, and john yeah. mccain were still around I, like yeah, seriously think about this if desantis <laughs> wins if yeah. DeSantis wins, I guarantee you at some point in the next four years, four, five years, if DeSantis wins in 2024, at some point you will have some prominent person on the left say, I miss Donald Trump. Yes. They, they will do it as a slam against Ron DeSantis. They'll be like, Donald Trump didn't even do this. Like, guaranteed. It happens every time. It's so unoriginal at this point and easily predictable. But that, okay, that leads back. So let's do, let's do the next part here and we'll finish with this. Let's do some predictions. Um, I think it's it, anybody that's trying to protect the uh, the nominating contest outcome right now. I, I'm sorry, you no. <laughs> like there, there's going to be people that make predictions right now, and, and look, there's there's you got a 50 percent chance of being right. Uh, essentially, at this point, we'll, we'll say 40. You got a 40 percent chance of being right um, if you pick Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump, right? So you can come back later and be like, I called it all the way back. But you didn't have sufficient. You didn't have sufficient. I mean, come on. It's like playing the lottery. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay. You you went to the roulette table. You bet on you bet on red. It came up red. You didn't have some grandiose <laughs> strategy, right? Um, but I think what's um, I, I think what's going to happen with the prosecution side. Um, I'm going to say right now. I don't think there's. I don't think there's any way they get a felony conviction. I agree. I, I don't think there's any way they do that. I think at best. 
um, they they could get some maybe some misdemeanors. I don't even think they're going to get a misdemeanor. I, I do think they're going to bring charges, and I think it's been delayed over and over again yeah. because of just there's so many working parts with this. But like this guy wants to build let, let a me, career. Let me guess the, the the trial will go around somewhere around October, <laughs> Novemberish. But like like. Manhattan's district attorney, I mean, th this guy's probably thinking that he's going to become governor one day, yeah. right? Like, he wants to build a political career off of, I took down Donald Trump. Yeah. Like, that's what he's going to sell his base, eventually. That's what he hopes to do. So I have no doubt that, that in my opinion, unless something crazy happens, I have no doubt that he's going to bring charges eventually. I just don't know when. Yeah. But. I, I, I just, I don't see a case there. And yeah. and I, I'm not saying that as, as saying that Trump is absolved of any sort of moral culpability for what happened, but Michael Cohen is not a reliable witness, you know, no, testimony no. at all, well, right? And, 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 and if you're building a case centered around Michael Cohen's statements when this guy went to prison for yeah. lying, yeah. that I, I just... It, 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 what this is, is I still think that this is an attempt by the left to A... For the prosecutor, he wants to be able to use this to pad oh, his yeah, career. And yeah. B, the left, I think, has made the calculated decision, whether or not it's true, that Donald Trump is the weaker candidate, so therefore we want to amplify him in order to get him the nomination and increase our chances of beating the GOP nominee in 2024. So it's it's everybody wins from their perspective, right? This prosecutor gets to pat himself on the back. The left gets to have their supposedly weaker candidate. It increases the odds of Joe Biden or whoever the Democrats nominate ends up getting reelected. Win, win, win for the left all around. But like in terms of actually like convicting Trump of anything, I mean, they, I they've tried to throw the book at him over and over again. I yeah. remember the Mueller thing, right? That was supposed to sink him. Like I've gotten to this point where I, I just, I don't think that, that, that there's a, there's really a case to be yeah. made that's going to result well, and, in a conviction. You can already see parts of that. Like, cause I, I look, we read Vox, so you don't have to, right? but we were, we were reading Vox and they were saying like, well, you know, the, the district attorney is, is you know, essentially trying to do the right thing, but with all the threats of violence from Trump supporters, it's like, so they're setting this up as, oh, it's not that he didn't have a good case. He was just so concerned about the threat of violence, which by the way, if you make your decisions based off of that as a prosecutor, you're a weak prosecutor. You and you know, you're also a weak, weak prosecutor, prosecutor when you consider the fact that 75 to 80% of Manhattan is Democrat. Yeah. How many, you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the, the Jesse Smollett <laughs> situation. Yeah. How many MAGA hat wearing, you know, ma, you know, tr Trump Republicans live in Southern Manhattan? That's right. Went like, out there, I, took, <laughs> took away the DA's subway sandwich and said, this is MAGA country. Yeah. I don't, I don't buy it. So I, I look. Do I think it's political? Yes. Does that mean that there aren't things that Trump could have done better in all of these cases? No, I'm not saying that at all. Look, I, I'm sorry. It, this is another one of those things where if we're not if we're not willing to actually critique our own side, um, then we, we might as well just, I, I don't know, take down the, the value proposition of this entire show. It, it's we're, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to give um, honest analysis. And look, we, we give it from a, a conservative and a, and a liberty bias Um and, and we're, we're upfront about that because we want, you to know, the foundation of a worldview, but things are what they are, man. And facts are what, what they are. And there's, there's things that Trump could have handled better on, on, on some of this. Um, but I, Moral I do of the story is don't cheat on your wife. Yeah. I hey, mean, yeah. Don't, don't, don't cheat on your wife. Um, that, that's really good advice. It, yeah, that's, that's just the, the it's a yeah. there's, there's, there's actually some, there's actually some, uh, there's a really good book that, um, actually has that as one of its 10 rules. For living, really? Not by, not was by it Jordan published Pe by Jordan Peterson? Not, not by Jordan Peterson, actually. No. <laughs> is no, it a little bit older than Jordan? It's Peterson? a little bit. It's a little bit older. Um, oh, uh, so it must be Carl Jung, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's Jung. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's Jung. 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I think, uh, yeah, God had something to do with that. <laughs> yeah. God had something to do with the authorship. Moses had something to do with the distribution, <laughs> you know, St. Paul. Um, but yeah, it, it's like, look, you know, stay away from, from bad situations like this and you don't end up having to, you know, have hush money and wondering what accounts it's come from and everything else. Can, can, can we actually end, end on reinforcing this point that, that two things can, and yeah. nuance is basically dead in politics. Let's, yeah. let's be honest. It is, but we're going to still give it the good old college try anyway. Yeah. Here, the nuance is, is that two things can be true at the same time, right? These charges could be heavily politically motivated for a variety of reasons, yeah. right? They hate Trump. They might also think he's a weaker candidate. They certainly want to pad their back because mm -hmm. of the animosity towards Trump on the left. Tons of political yeah. motivations, right? I, I'm utterly convinced that if if Trump's name was, you know, Donald Smith and he was some random guy out of, you know, Mahoning yeah. County, Ohio, that, that this would not be happening at all. Probably They're not. doing this because he used to be the president of the United States and he was a Republican and he dared, you know, challenge their anointed yeah. one, Hillary Clinton, and beat her, right? Yeah. Like, that's, that, that's the motivation. That can be true at the same time that, you know, Trump has some really flawed character personality traits That's and back, you know, backstory and baggage yeah. that has made it possible for something like this to even remotely be a, 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 a conceivable, you know, possibility. Yeah. Right. And, and it's a fair point of criticism to level against Trump that look, we're the conservative party that says things like the family structure matters yeah. and, and the that, that the, the, these principles are important. And, and then we elevate, somebody like that that has this baggage to the highest office in the country yeah. it doesn't necessarily look great on our end despite the fact that that doesn't mean the left is right and they're certainly not morally right they're hypocrites too but there's more than enough hypocrisy to go around and i yeah, think that sure. that's that's totally well, and, and, true. And, and by the same token we can also look at it we understand that people human beings are fallible human beings and the last time the last time we actually had a perfect person the government crucified him right so it's it's i, I like to remind people that if you did if you actually did everything right and you think you'd be loved for it. I, I got news for you. Somebody did it and they weren't right. At least not, at least not by the powers that be. So um, it, it's always important to remember that again, I don't. So my, my ultimate, my prediction to kind of end this all up. Um, I, I don't think there's a felony uh, prosecution in this. I just, I just don't um, I, at best. I could see an indictment, um, maybe some, some minor misdemeanors or things like that, but I, I don't think it's going to be anything significant. And, and honestly, once he is no longer considered a political threat, I think a lot of people are just not going to care anymore. They'll move on except to attacking for those, the next guy, except for those. And this is the part where I think this is, is a good point. If, if you are in a, if you are in a deep blue district going after Trump is, is a, is, is almost obligatory to pad your resume. And so in, in so far as there will be, you know, people that will look, look at that as a, as a valuable um, angle that that could still happen in, in the meantime, I, I really do look, I really do hope as we go into the nominating, you know, putting all this stuff aside and looking at the nominating process. Um, I, I'm going to say right now, I, I really want someone that's not going to, I don't want, I don't want our candidates trashing each other. That doesn't mean they can't give honest critiques of policy differences or record differences or things like that. That is all fair game because we, we do have to make the best person that's going to represent the values that we believe in, you know, the economic values, the social values, um, certainly that, that believes in the, the limitations that are supposed to be placed on government through the constitution and the, and the recognition that really what makes the American experiment truly unique was not the idea of one ideology using the government to bludgeon the other one into submission, but rather, the belief that each human being should have the right to be able to live their life the way they want, provided they're not infringing on the rights of others. 
And I want a candidate that's going to live up to that, to the best of their ability, that's going to be as faithful to that as I can get. That's what I'm looking for. So um, we'll see what happens. You were about to, you were about to say something. I'm, 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 I'm really curious what your thoughts are. I think both of y'all's predictions are quite thorough and well thought out. Um, I, the question that I had was like, let's say that the indictment does take place and it does happen. Will that be enough fuel for Trump to regain the support he needs to win the primary? I, I think what you're going to see. Uh, well, so if, if he got indicted, I think as this as this process goes through, there's kind of there's kind of two courses of action. It's always easy to say, oh, here's multiple courses of action. Um, I, I think the the people that see this as nothing more than a political exercise are going to uh, rally around Trump and they're going to be fiercely, fiercely loyal to him and, and understandably, and, 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 it's, and I, I believe in some cases, understandably so, mm-hmm. um, because th- there's a larger principle at play here. And that is um, they're going, at, it's, it's the idea that you're going after Trump, not because you honestly believe that he should belong in jail or anything. Yeah. You're going after Trump because he was the only one that stood up to you yeah. and you're, and you're scared of him. And that's what we're looking for. Right. And there's, there's going to be other people, though, that uh, as evidence potentially comes out and whatnot, they may look at it as, look, it's just it's just too much baggage. There's going to be some people that look at this and say, there's a lot of things I appreciate about a Trump, but I've always had issues with some of the character things. Mm-hmm. And, and this is this just further solidifies it for him. So I, I think you're going to have I think you're going to have reasonable people on both sides of this. You know, again, one reasonable person is going to say, I, I don't care the guy fights, right? It's, it's, yeah. the old, it's the old Lincoln quote about Ulysses S. Grant. I can't spare this man. He fights. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure. McClellan might be more eloquent and, and more organizational, and this person is not as big a drunk, but he fights, yeah. right? And that's, that's all I'm looking for. You're going to have other people that say, look, we have other people that have also proven that they can fight that, that don't have the same upheaval going on within their business and their family. Maybe it's maybe it's time for them to do it. That 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 to me is the the reasonable arguments I see on both sides. We yeah. will see which prevails. Uh, but I think the indictment just makes this. It makes Trump the primary story, and the and the primary story is going to be the left attacking Trump, which to to my knowledge has always benefited Trump yeah. with the base. All right, sixty seconds apiece. If you were Governor DeSantis's consultant on his campaign, how should he be operating right now? Who's going first? He's Christian. Um, he needs to he needs to to announce like sooner than later because the the momentum is starting to slip away. I mean, you're you're seeing it in the opinion polls that Trump is starting to surge because the left is focusing on him. DeSantis needs to to pull off one big final like legislative victory in Florida that he can talk about to to maybe get the ire of the left again and and get some attention back in his direction and then he needs to he needs to throw his hat in the ring and and make this official so that way we're stop speculating and and he officially becomes a candidate and then the gloves are going to be taken off by Trump even more so than they already yeah. have right now he's keeping a lot of the fighting to truth social which yeah, who, and, who, who and are he, the who are the people on truth social I mean they're already yeah. in Trump's network and, but, and I'm on truth so yes, yes but I, but like I, I, the thing is, look, if you're watching the show, chances are you're probably, even though you probably hate the GOP like most Republicans do, <laughs> you probably vote Republican more than you do Democrat or, yeah. or independent or whatever, right? Um, All right, Nick. So, so hey, hang on, hang on. Okay. I, I, I'll, I'll end with this. Um, this is going to be a very bloody primary fight. This is going to be a very bloody primary fight. Just be prepared for it, right? Like, it, honestly. And, and so 
we'll see what happens. I mean, I've already kind of made my my bed in that. I mean, I, I'm supporting DeSantis. I've already made mm-hmm. that abundantly clear to people, and I have multiple reasons why that we'll probably get into over the course of the next year or so. But like, just be prepared that this is going to be a really really ugly fight all around. Yeah. If I'm Trump, I'm going to do I'm going to do it from both. Okay. If I'm Trump's consultant, I am going after the left for you know the political witch hunt. All right. That, that's, that's what I'm going for. And then I would look for some element. I would look for some element within the Trump campaign for him to be able to demonstrate, um, some form of either humility or self-deprecation. I think that's one thing that turns off certain voters from Trump is they feel like, man, I like his policies, but gosh, I, I, I just feel like, I feel like sometimes he's just arrogant. Now there's other people say, I don't care. I love the arrogance. He's a fighter. I think, and, and again, I don't think he should stop being a fighter. But I do think if there's some way, and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be with the left, it shouldn't be yeah. with the people trying to tear him down. But it could be with another candidate. It could be with somebody else. Where if 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 we saw a touch of humility, I think there's a lot of people to be like, yeah, I see something. Just a touch. I see something different there that I haven't seen before, and it and it shows growth. If I'm if I'm DeSantis's uh, consultant, I would probably give him the opposite advice of what most of the consultants are going to do. I would say, look. I, I think you have to speak out that look, there, there's there's such an obvious political angle from this on what they're going after Donald Trump, um, and this weaponization of the DOJ that we've mm-hmm. seen. And then you move it, and then I would move it over to you know we've seen it with Trump, we've seen it with parents at school board meetings, you know we we've seen it with the police, we've seen it with everything else, and, and we're we're just tired of it. We're tired of it. This is not what the law is supposed to do. And then if I'm DeSantis, I just focus. I focus entirely on everything you've done in Florida. Yeah. You know Trump's going to attack you. That's just that's just his method. That's his mo. If I'm DeSantis, I really do not go back. I, I'm sorry, I'm not attacking Trump. I, I think I'm I'm staying really really focused on this is what we did. This is why we did it. Um, you know what what the enemy is is what they're we're trying to do to this country. The enemy is not Donald Trump's not my enemy. Yeah, uh, uh, that that's what I that's the advice I would give um, DeSantis. I can tell you right, now, I can almost guarantee that will not be the advice he receives. Yeah. Back to your point, Christian, you talked about DeSantis announcing on March 22nd of 2015, Ted Cruz announced his presidential run at Liberty University. I was there. It was quite a crazy day. And yesterday, Liberty announced that DeSantis would be speaking at Liberty during convocation on April 14th. I don't think that they, that he his team would encourage him to announce at Liberty just like Cruz did. Um, but it's very, it, we, what we saw during the last election cycle was that each one of these candidates almost started their campaign at Liberty. And the reason for that was was because it's one of the like only places they could get 10 to 13,000 students in a room at the same time and get the photos that they needed, the attention that they needed, make mm-hmm. it look like they had the um, the excitement that was behind, that was needed behind their campaign. So who knows? Maybe they do announce on the 14th at Liberty, or or maybe he announces shortly before or after that date. Right? Yeah. And so I mean, I, I I do think that in the next month or two, almost certainly in the next two months, that DeSantis will formally announce. And and when he does that, we've talked about this before on the show that like you know he'll suck up all the oxygen in the so, room and it'll so, be a two man race. Like what? So let's say that tomorrow DeSantis announced, what are the first three things that his campaign does to try and capture as much attention as possible, suck all the air out of the room and leave Trump behind? Oh, he's he'll immediately, and he's already started doing this, he will immediately start going to the early states, Iowa, Nevada, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and he's going to start touting his record. And, and, and you know what? If you're DeSantis, you need to contrast your record with Trump's record because I'm sorry, Trump talked it. Trump talked a great game, but yeah. you know what? 
The national deficit went up more under Trump than any other president in American history. So that would be a talking point you'd that, recommend. That, that's DeSantis one point. I, I would also bring up that DeSantis stood up to, to Fauci and was one of the first states to, yeah. to refuse lockdowns at the same time that Trump refused to fire him. Trump, Trump spent the entirety of 2020 with Fauci in the White House. Never fired him, right? Like, like th- th- there's, there's multiple things like this, right? Trump signed multi-trillion dollar spending bills, COVID bailout bills, Democrat-backed bills into law. DeSantis is a fiscal conservative. Like the inflation crisis that we're in began with Trump and then it accelerated under Biden. People forget that. DeSantis needs to remind people of that. He needs to start contrasting his record with Trump's record because Trump talked a really good game and inspired a lot of people. But when you look at the results in 2020, DeSantis has an opening there that he can focus on. And I'm sure that we'll be able to talk about that more in future episodes. Sure. Yeah. So, all right, listen, I know we went over a lot of stuff today. Hopefully you have a better understanding of what exactly they're trying to do uh, to, to Donald Trump right now. Uh, so maybe some, some predictions. We'll see how those actually pan out with respect to what it means, why they're doing it again. Hopefully you feel better informed, better able to be able to talk about this in depth with people that might be interested. Thank you again for joining us. Please let us know how we did on volley chat and we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick. And once again, thank you for listening.